0: This episode of the Alley on the Run Show is brought to you by Strava, the social network for athletes. Welcome to the Alley on the Run Show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and today you're listening to episode 60. On this episode, I'm joined by professional middle distance runner Emma Coburn. Emma is a world champion in the Steeplechase, an event she happily explained to me, a steeplechase novice, in awesome detail. In addition to her long list of running accolades, Emma is also a newlywed, so of course we chat all things wedding, and she's an avid adventurer in the kitchen. Plus, we talk all about those famous photos from the ESPN Bodies issue in 2016. You're going to love every minute of this, so let's get right into it. Emma Coburn, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. Thanks for having me. So... Before we get into all the good stuff, start us off like you start any good run, which of course is with a warm-up. So tell us who you are, where you're from, and what it is that you do. My name is Emma Coburn. I am
1: from Crested Butte, Colorado. I primarily train in Boulder, Colorado, and I run the 3,000-meter steeplechase.
0: Yes, you do, and I had never even heard of the steeplechase until a couple years ago. I didn't grow up; we didn't. My school didn't even have a track and field team. I was from like a teeny tiny school in New Hampshire, so I. And I think most people probably haven't heard of the steeplechase. So, what is the steeplechase?
1: The steeplechase is three thousand meters of hurdling. Um, it's seven and a half laps around, you know, a normal four hundred meter track, and every lap there's four. 30 inch barriers is what we call them. They're like hurdles. And then one water jump and the water jump is a 12 foot water pit that we have to jump on top of a barrier um, and like propel ourselves off of the barrier to clear the water. It's
0: tough. Yeah. (laughs) And it's crazy to watch. So ever since I found, I think it was during the Olympics one year or something, I was like, what is this water pit situation? So you kind of came into the steeplechase by accident, right? Yeah, I
1: grew up in Colorado and in Colorado, we didn't have it offered in high school. i had seen it once at an out of state meet, but didn't really know what was going on. And when I was a junior, we were going to race um, at a meet in Albuquerque, um, And I was going to run an 800 and my dad thought it was a waste of time to drive eight hours each way just to run two laps. So he looked at the schedule and, you know, tried to figure out what event I could double enter in. And the only event that really made sense with the schedule to double enter in was the steeplechase. So he was like, I think we've seen that once before out of state. I think you'd be good at it because I grew up playing basketball and volleyball and was a skier and just kind of grew up doing lots of adventures. And so felt my dad felt like I could handle kind of the, the athletic requirements of it, of the water jump. And so I went down to the college, uh, down the road, um, in Gunnison, uh, Western state college and the coach there, Jen, Michael, she let me just run a lap with one of her athletes and it, it just clicked. And then I went down and I raced and ended up qualifying for nationals in that, um, in that first race. And then when I was running at nationals, my college coaches, Mark Wetmore and Heather Burroughs saw me and recruited me, um, you know, that fall to run in college. So very much an accident. I was not incredibly interested in running in college at all. And my life would have had a very different outcome, had that
0: schedule been a little bit different at that one meet in Albuquerque. Yeah, that's so cool. I love your dad's mentality. Sorry, we're not driving eight hours for you to run for two minutes. Yeah. (laughs) So had you ever done, like, had you trained doing regular hurdles or anything? Because the steeplechase isn't just like, oh, it's a little bit longer. It's a totally different, very tactical race. How did you know kind of how to do that? You know, and
1: I never did hurdles in high school, but I do think that there's a there is an element that just kind of clicked with me. And as the years went by and I got more and more comfortable with it, I definitely, uh, the rhythm of, of the hurdling and pacing yourself and the grind of having to hurdle when you're incredibly fatigued, uh, that all just kept clicking and kept feeling, like very comfortable. And like, it was something that I was supposed to be doing. So I, yeah, I never hurdled in high school, but I definitely just right away the very first day I tried it just kind of clicked with it. And I think a lot of that does have to do with my upbringing. You know, I grew up playing sport, a lot of other sports, like I said, and kind of grew up being an athlete outside of running. And I do think that that helped me, uh, excel at the water jump and kind of help me feel more comfortable
0: in in an event that has so many obstacles. So speaking of the water jump, I'm going to ask the most novice, rookie, silly question right now, which I'm totally fine with doing to myself. You, Even if you fully clear the water, there's still a little bit of splashing because not everyone always clears it. Are you running with wet feet for the rest of the race? Yeah. Yeah. We're running with wet spikes
1: and It doesn't, um, you know, that's a question we get a lot is, is it weird running with wet spikes and it's not weird at all. I mean, our, our shoes are so lightweight and breathable and they're not weighed down by, you know, being wet and we're not wearing socks. So it's, it's not, it's not uncomfortable.
0: Um, but yeah, you definitely are running the whole time with wet feet. All right. Well, it makes me happy that you said you get that question a lot because I was like, I'm going to sound like an idiot, but I want, I've always wanted to know. So I'm glad that I'm not the only (laughs) one asking that question. So you said you weren't interested in running in college though. Why is that?
1: You know, it just wasn't, um, it just wasn't on my radar. I, I wasn't, I went to a very small school. Um, the public school in Crested Butte has, when I was in school, I had 80 kids in the whole high school, um, and 19 in my class. And so wow, we all, yeah. So we all were able to participate and, you know, lots of different sports and not, we didn't have to specialize in any one thing. And we didn't really have to identify ourselves as one thing. You know, I didn't identify myself as a runner at all. I won a lot of state titles and was good for my school and for my, you know, my division. Um, but it just wasn't, uh, it didn't seem that exciting to me, or I guess I also didn't really understand the opportunities that running could provide me. Um, my junior year, I started working with this, this other running coach who coached at the private school in my town, um, Trent Sanderson. And he really kind of opened my eyes to what running, across the country is like, and that it's a really big deal for a lot of people and that it's very cool and special. And I didn't really appreciate it until I started working with him. Um, and he also coached my now husband, who's also my coach, um, Joe Bossard. He was a, an athlete of in high school as well. And so I started liking running more. And, um, the more I got, the more that I was around Trent and Joe and the more my crush on Joe grew and grew, (laughs) I decided, you know, that, that running is cool. And while it's very challenging that it, uh, it is so much bigger than myself and it can provide me, you know, incredible opportunities. So I, before I kind of worked with them, I definitely was scared of it. I hated the pain. I didn't train very hard. I really, uh, I really just was mentally a little weak. Um, and then kind of working with them, I started realizing that running is fun and it's incredible. And, um, when you push through a painful workout or a painful race and come out the other side with a good performance, it's so rewarding. Um, and then once I raced at nationals my junior year, after my junior year and my, um, coaches at Colorado started recruiting me, um, that's when I realized that, oh, this is a big deal. Like I could go to college for this and have college paid for and get this really special, unique experience. Um, So it kind of slowly grew on me. But even by December of my senior year of high school, I still didn't think I wanted to run in college. And uh, the shift slowly, you know, changed. But yeah, I'm really
0: glad that I changed my mind on it. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's working out okay for you, both the running and the crush. I think both of those yeah. things have, have turned out okay. So Yeah, both worked out. At what point did you say, I'm gonna make a career out of this? Because running in college is amazing. Running as a career is a little bit more serious. So when did you realize that was something you could pursue?
1: That kind of slowly crept up on me as well. My junior year, I ran, it was 2011, spring of 2011. And I ran at the time, the U S leading time and got the world a standard. Um, so to compete at worlds and Olympics, you have to hit a certain time standard and at a race in May of my junior year, I, um, hit the standard. And so that was when it clicked for me that, well, I could make a world championship team. And that's when it also clicked with me that, oh, if I'm making world championship teams, I can have a career at this if I want to. You know, I didn't know how lucrative that career would be, but i that was when it kind of clicked for me that this can be my next, not just my next two years of finishing college, but it could be my next 10 years if I wanted it to be. And then that year I ended up winning the U.S. championships. I won the NCAAs, then the USAs championships, and then went on to the world championships and made the final. So that that season is kind of when it shifted for me that this could be my career and I want it to be my career.
0: So it's interesting to me that you mentioned the, the mental strength component because as someone who – you know, watches the running community, watches a lot of professional runners. I always look at you as someone who seems so mentally solid. So I'm curious, what was it that helped you make that shift to not being mentally strong to being, and do you consider yourself to be mentally strong now? I think I am mentally
1: tough. I think really in high school, I was uncomfortable with being uncomfortable physically. You know, I didn't, I didn't understand that side of it, um, you know, like I said, I played basketball and volleyball and, and did these other sports where you're working hard, but you're not sustaining pain for a long time. And I think that, uh, was a transition that I had to make in my head of that, that you're supposed to hurt, you're supposed to be in pain and you're going to come out the other side better. Um, and I do think that a lot of that had to do with working with my high school coach, Trent Sanderson, and, then being around Joe, uh, you know, Joe Trent's greatest qualities is that he gets kids to believe in themselves and gets them excited about running. And Joe is really, uh, he's very focused and he's very, uh, logical. And so if I would quit in a workout or quit in a race, he would just say like, well, why'd you do that? <laughs> and not, and he wouldn't give me the sympathy that I was so desperate for, but he would just say like, well, you know, what was going on? Why'd you make that choice? And, and just, uh, so in high school, I started getting a little mentally stronger because I was able to kind of confront why I was, you know, wimping out on certain things. And so then once I got to college working with Mark and Heather, they're really great at being very, again, logical in expectations that they have for athletes. And they would say, Emma, you're in 10-minute shape for the steeple. And so I'd go out there and I'd confidently run 10-minute pace and I'd feel pain, but I'd feel confidence that, you know, Mark and Heather see my workouts. They know that I'm in this uh, fitness, so I'm going to trust them and I'm going to accept this pain and I'm going to go with it and commit to running this pace. And most of the time, almost all the time, it would work out and I would run you know pretty close to what they thought I was fit enough for. So having them be realists with what they expected from performances really helped me run in races with that confidence that, you know, if again, if they're telling me in the 2012 Olympics, you know, if they're telling me I can run 920, I ran, you know, 920 splits as long as I could and I ended up running 923 but that race I wasn't nervous I wasn't scared I wasn't intimidated even though it was my first olympics just because I was running uh with the confidence that they you know knew what they were doing and that they knew what I was capable of so that that really helped and then that obviously just builds and builds over the years
0: well you're also fresh off yet another very successful race just yesterday you raced oh. a mile, so you yeah. shared on Instagram, my favorite social platform, you said that your goal was to run 439, and you ran? 438.08. So you you had like a second to spare, which in, in a mile, that's pretty good, so congratulations. You also, <laughs> you broke a record, right? Yeah, it was uh, the Colorado mile record. Um,
1: it was held by the very talented runner at CU, Danny Jones. She ran it last year or two years ago, I think, um, in Boulder and, you know, the, the wonderful facility at the university of Colorado is, is great. And, uh, she ran it there. And so I kind of just threw that Joe and I talked and thought that was a good goal just because running a race at nearly 8,000 feet of elevation, really, we hope when I go to the East coast to race in a couple of weeks that what I'm running for a mile here is similar pace for what I'll be running for 3000 at sea level. So the state record just happened to be within this kind of zone of what our pacing goals was anyway. Um, and so, yeah, we, we ran and Aisha led for 800 and then I took the second 800 and I was about two or three seconds under pace with, 200 to go. And then the last, you know, 200 or 150 really started hurting. And I started feeling that, uh, I started feeling that elevation for sure. 70, 7,717 feet is, is no joke when you're running a mile. So insane. it, it, it really hurt. And, uh, just the last bit hurt the first half felt like wonderful. Um, and then the last bit hurt. And then afterwards, Aisha and I were just, wrecked you know that your lungs feel like someone like an elephant is sitting on your chest and feels like you swallowed a firework your lungs are just burning and constantly coughing and uh definitely wrecked for about an hour after our race <laughs> it's uh, the track from it, but... hack
0: right isn't that what they call it yep. track hack
1: <laughs> yep track hack but it was like track hack to the next level for sure <laughs> she and i had never experienced uh, something so severe with our track hack so uh but it was fun and, and you know, I've, I haven't raced locally since high school. And so it's, uh, it, it was just really fun to have, you know, the, the people I grew up with come and cheer and the, you know, there was standing room only in the, in the, uh, stands and it was, it was packed and really loud and really fun. And, uh, the view that I posted on my Instagram stream, is from like the athlete area only. And so the fans were on the other side of the state of the tracks. So you can't really see them, but it was great. It was really fun.
0: And uh, I think it was useful for our training. Oh, that's so fun. So when you're running a mile, how are you wearing a GPS watch? I'm guessing, or some kind of watch.
1: Um, nope. It just, Oh, you're the- just off feel. Or you can well, see no, the clock. A,
0: but. Yep, yep. There's a clock okay. at
1: the at the track every 200 meters.
0: Got it. Okay. I was gonna say, how often are you looking down at your wrist to check in at where you're at? But yeah, having having the big clock makes a little more sense. Yeah, yeah. It, when you're running something fast,
1: it's it's just easier to have a clock or to have someone yell at you instead of having to look <laughs> at your watch for sure.
0: So. Speaking of really successful races, 2017 was a very exciting year for you. You became the world champion in London in the steeplechase, and you broke your own American record last year, right? Yeah, um,
1: I broke my American record in London. Um, I'd set it the year before in Rio, um, and then in May of, of 2017, I ran within a, you know, a few tenths of my old record, and so I knew I was in – I knew I was in shape to break my record, but with championship races, you know, you can never count on it being a fast race or being a perfect race. So I felt, I felt uh, really lucky to have everything play out the way it did and, you know, not only win, but
0: to bring my, you know, my fastest time ever was, was a nice icing on the cake. Well, as a fan, that was such an exciting race to watch. And I have to say, obviously you were the star of that race, very good day for you. But there was another Coburn who had a really fun day that day, which is your sister. So can we talk oh. about that? Because that video, I've probably seen it like six times now, and it makes me sob. So tell me your... So for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, your sister was watching you run that race on TV. And so who was filming her watching it? Um,
1: our friend Eric Van Halen was filming her. Um, and Gracie, my sister... Has come to the you know the last several major championships, but she has a one-year-old and couldn't make it this year. So um, she was watching at home, and I don't know why Eric had the you know presence of mind to film he knew. the end of the race and to film her reaction. Because I wasn't expected to win; I was seated sixth coming in, and we all thought that I could realistically finish in fourth and if I ran perfectly finish in third but the fact that he was you know present enough to film it and and sense that something special was about to happen is is you know we're lucky for that but yeah Gracie was watching and she just lost it and that video went viral for sure and I was told yeah I was told by someone at the IAAF the Athletics Federation um that it was the most watched video of the championship, and Wait, it wasn't even of
0: the races. The races. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, she she was a little embarrassed about how, you know, extreme her reaction was. No, but I think it's really I loved sweet. It.
0: Well, everyone needs a, a cheerleader like that in their lives, whether it's in your family or not. But that video is amazing. So, when did you know you were going to win that race?
1: Really, not until. 30 meters to go, you know, it was very last minute. Um, I went off the water jump and ended up, you know, coming out of the jump in first, but then didn't, you know, I kept looking around, looking around, waiting for, waiting for someone to come up on my shoulder and challenge me the last hundred meters. And then I cleared the final barrier. And then finally, after that looked up and saw that I was, going to win and just started smiling and couldn't stop. So, uh, it was, yeah, it wasn't
0: until really I cleared that final barrier that it clicked that I was going to win. Oh, I get goosebumps. (laughs) It was so good. So I know that you said that when you started doing the steeplechase, you were pretty successful right from the get go. Have you ever not cleared one of those barriers? Have you ever had a rough race going around that track? (laughs)
1: I've, I've been good in races. Um, I had my, my worst fall ever was the very first time I had a workout at Colorado in practice. I wiped out on the very first hurdle and got really embarrassed and all the other track athletes were there. And then I had to brush myself off and start over. But in races, I've been, I've been pretty good so far to never, you know, never have had a big crash or a big, uh, a big fall. And I had one water jump a couple of years ago that I kind of fell and had to put my hands down, but it wasn't, it wasn't a big wipeout. So, so far so
0: good. All right. Well, keep up the good work. That is very impressive. So <laughs> a name that has come up a couple times that I'm really excited to talk about is Joe Bosshard. So tell <laughs> us a little, I know you already mentioned it, but tell us who is Joe Bosshard? Joe
1: is my husband and also my coach. He's your new he- husband.
0: Sorry. I'm like, tell us about it, but let me interject right away. You guys just got married.
1: Yeah, we, we just got married, um, in October in Hawaii, um, on Kauai on the North shore. Um, it was beautiful. It was perfect. And we had great friends and family there and we're, we're on Kauai for like 12 days or something. So we just had a big party for 12 days and then ended it with, with the wedding. Um, so yeah, it, it was really fun. And yeah, we've been dating since high school, so I don't think it's it was a surprise to anyone that we got married, but it still was, you know, incredibly special and a very, very, very happy day.
0: Um,
1: and and then, that
0: dress, I mean, that dress oh, was <laughs> amazing.
1: Thank you. Thanks. I, uh, I got it at a bridal shop in Denver and knew that I wanted to gain about 10 pounds from when my season ended until the wedding, just so that I could make, you know, make the curves look a little bit softer and less, less abs, more curves. Um, and so it ended up looking good in the dress and, and my 10 pound goal was achieved. And, you know, I think, I think the dress was, uh, great for the day and kind of my personality and stuff. So we, we, we enjoyed it for sure. Um, and yeah, so then Joe also started coaching me in, October of 2016. Um, after the Olympics, I left my former coaches who were my college coaches of eight years and Joe started coaching me and yeah, it's been going really well. We have a few new training partners. Um, Aisha Lear, who is the Jamaican steeple national record holder joined our group in December of last year. And then, and then in October or November of 17, we, um, had another girl join named Kayla Edwards, who's a miler. So we have a nice little group of girls and Joe's a great coach and he's, he's very smart and thoughtful. He's not an emotional guy. So it's, I really like having that in coaches where they don't really have emotional swings, highs and lows. Um, My college coaches were that way that they were pretty mellow and level headed. Um, Whether it was a great performance or kind of a bad performance, they'd treat you, the same way and just be ready to work the next day was always the, the mantra. And so Joe has that same personality. And, uh, I think that provides a lot of stability because, because as we all know, running can have its ups and downs and there can be a lot of emotion and stress. And so when, when you can have a coach and a partner, but when you can have a coach who can, uh, just keep kind of a business like mindset and not get swept up in the, the emotions of it all and just, uh, be kind of your, your steady pillar. I think that's really helpful and has led to some of the success.
0: And is that easy for the two of you? Is it pretty easy to just hand over your training to him and say, tell me what to do or do you ever butt heads?
1: No, I, I trust him so much. And I think because we've known each other for so long, um, And he's seen my training over the years and he himself was a six or seven time all American while at Colorado. Um, so he himself was a good runner and studies a lot about, you know, everything there is to know about running. And so I trust him completely. And, uh, it's, it's very easy for me to hand over the reins. I don't, I'm kind of the athlete that likes to, uh, be told what to do and then do it. You know, I, I, I thrive when I'm just the workhorse. And so he spends time explaining why we're doing something or what the goal is or what our long-term objective is. But I definitely just trust him to make the plan and uh, he trusts me to execute it.
0: That's really cool. And power to the two of you. Talk about a dream team. (laughs) So you mentioned, and I feel like this this is another thing that went viral or that was everywhere is before your wedding, you said you wanted to gain 10 pounds, which is not something you typically hear from women before their weddings. It's not usually that they want to gain weight. So can you tell me, well, you said it was successful. So how did you gain 10 pounds?
1: Well, just drinking a lot of beer and (laughs) having a lot of dessert and that, uh, you know, we're, we're so, I have a pretty balanced diet during the racing season. If I'm, if I'm craving some sweets, I'll have sweets. Or if I want a glass of wine, I'll have a glass of wine. But in general, we're eating very well and very clean. And so, you know, just being in in off season, I was still running. Um, I was still running some, I'd run probably four or five days a week from when my season ended until, you know, through the wedding. Um, and then after the wedding, I started ramping up my training, but I'd run four or five days a week. And so just cutting out the intensity of, of serious training is that'll add a few pounds right there. But then just the diet, just really giving in to any craving I had. And um, I lived
0: on Frosted Flakes and Coors Light and Red Bull
1: for, <laughs> for a few months.
0: <laughs> well, you looked amazing. You always look great. You especially looked great on your wedding day. So it sounds like you have a pretty good relationship with your body. Would you say that's true? And has that always been the case? Yeah, I I feel really lucky that I
1: um, have always had a positive body image. And I think a big part of that is that I grew up an athlete that I grew up not just playing team sports, um, but I grew up climbing mountains and mountain biking and skiing and snowboarding and, you know, like kayaking and just being very outdoorsy and adventurous. And so my body, to me was always like, just this tool that let me have adventures. And it was the tool that let me um, achieve my goals and have fun. And my mom was always, you know, very athletic. And she and my dad have climbed in Colorado, 14,000 foot peaks and above are called 14ers. And there's 60 some odd 14ers. And my dad has climbed them all twice. And my mom has climbed them all once. And so my parents just we very active. And my mom, um, you know, was always climbing or mountain biking or skiing. Um, and so I think seeing her be so physically active and adventurous, you know, made it seem like, oh, of course, as a woman, that's something that I am capable of. And my sister, my older sister is the same way. And so, yeah, I was I just never thought twice about my body or my weight or the, the flaws it has, or whatever, it was just, oh, this is cool. I can climb a mountain, and I can, you know, do a layup, or I can jump over a steeple barrier. And then as I got older, it just the narrative that I couldn't do things just never entered my life. By the time I was a teenage girl, when that when that uh, messaging starts to creep into other girls' heads, I just was firmly, um, confident that I was an athlete and that I was a badass and could physically do anything I wanted to do. And I could do anything the boys were doing. Um, and so the, that luckily never creeped into my head. Um, and it's, you know, stayed that way ever since. So I can't really take credit for it. Um, but it was just, you know, my, my mom and my sister and my family always being athletic and being, being adventurous, I think really helped me.
0: And now, a word from our sponsor. Are you on Strava yet? If you're not, pause this episode right now, I'll wait, and go join the best social network for athletes. I've been a proud Strava member for years now, and it's like having a motivating, high-five-giving training buddy at all times. You can track all your workouts on Strava, from training runs and races to flywheel classes and not-so-subtly competitive bike rides with your significant other. When you upload your activities, you can add photos, ideally ones of puppies, and then scroll your feed to see how all your friends have been getting sweaty. Think Instagram meets training log, but way more fun. Go to Strava.com or download the Strava app to join today. Now let's get back to the show. So do you have any advice for people who maybe didn't grow up as athletes and aren't necessarily professional runners, but maybe they are athletic, they are runners? So in other words, for everyone listening to the show who's not a professional runner, do you have any advice for them for helping kind of instill that confidence that you have so naturally? I think,
1: I mean, there's a few things. One, I think anytime you can consistently be active, you're naturally going to feel more confident about yourself, um, whatever your activity is, whether it's running five days a week or going to Orange Theory three days a week or going on a mountain bike ride or going on, you know, walking your dog 30 minutes every day, whatever it is. Like when there's a consistent um, activity in your life, I think that you end up finding Um, confidence in that and also find some peace, you know, that activity ends up becoming a little therapeutic. And once you get in the routine of of doing something consistently, then it just becomes second nature um, and becomes, you know, just a part of your life. Um, And so I think the consistency helps. But then I also think if you are someone who doesn't feel doesn't identify themselves as an athlete, I think you should try and frame it differently in your head. Um, everyone can be an athlete. Anyone can be an athlete, and I think pushing, pushing your mental limits a little bit of how you see yourself can help. And trying new activities, you know, trying new workout classes or going on a different hike that's a little bit more intimidating, or going on a trail run instead of a treadmill. Just kind of pushing your boundaries a little bit. I think um, both. Physically with what you're doing and then mentally kind of how you see yourself will help too. I don't, I think identifying yourself and immediately saying, Oh, I didn't grow up playing sports. I'm not an athlete. I think that's just, you know, you're already defeated and you're already losing at that point.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. Speaking of bodies and speaking of confidence, you were in the ESPN bodies issue in 2016, which I love the bodies issue. I look forward to it every year because I think they do such an amazing job with it. Tell me a little bit about what it was like being asked to be part of it. And was it even a question? Were you like, yes, definitely?
1: You know, I, like you, um, love when the body issue comes out. I always buy it or, you know, I'm looking online at it. I find it so fascinating so fascinating how different all of the body types are. Um, you know, they are photographing people who are at the top of their game in their sport. And it's just fascinating to see the difference between what the best fencer in the world versus the best lineman in the world versus the best runner in the world. You know, the, the different body types, I think, is, is such a wonderful thing that they feature because it really does show you that, You don't have to look exactly like me to define yourself as an athlete or to be a successful athlete. You know, every, every body can be athletic and everybody can, can thrive. Um, and so I have just always been a fan of it. As you said, like the photos are always beautifully done. And, and again, the I find seeing how, um, diverse, you know, athletes are is, is so wonderful. And I was asked to do it in May of 16 and, and, you know, right away, I, I wanted to check with Joe and my dad and my grandpa to make sure they were okay with it. But, but, you know, everyone had the same opinion of of me that, that it was just a really wonderful honor to be asked to be a part of and, and what a cool experience. Um, and so we actually shot it in Crested Butte in May, and if any of you have seen the photos, it's completely snowy and it snowed the night before we shot in and then May. We had a, yeah. Which, what? which for Colorado isn't incredibly unusual, but it was beautiful. And then overnight it snowed like three or four inches. And so I'm literally naked in the snow, running barefoot in the snow. Um, and it was quite an adventure. And so I think the elements being so dramatic and it being so cold and being barefoot in the snow i think that was so distracting that that after 30 seconds i forgot that i was naked and i didn't care that i was naked and the photographer and the entire crew you know they've done these shoots before and they're incredibly professional and i never once felt uncomfortable and then we took a break for lunch and in colorado the sun is incredibly powerful. And so the uh, at lunchtime, everything melted. And so the second half of the day we shot um, and it was warmer and the snow had melted on the ground. So I wasn't running in snow anymore. And by then, luckily, I was comfortable enough being naked that it didn't bother me. But I think, uh, you know, the the adventure of being in the snow was the most memorable part. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. I I really enjoyed it and kind of going back to what we initially talked about of my body positivity, I guess, like I, again, I just see my body as these muscles can help me jump. And this little bit of, you know, fat is there for a reason. And I'm, I'm built this way so that I can achieve things, you know, great things on the track and reach my goals. So the, I was never self-conscious about any of that part of it. Um, and when it came out, I thought the photos were really cool. And, um, it actually came out the day before the Olympic trial final for the steeplechase. So it, uh, I think if I was a little less sure of myself, I would have had a little more, um, you know, if I was someone who was a little more self-conscious about their body, I, I would have been a little flipped out having to race my biggest race of the year the day after it came out, but it didn't, it didn't phase me. And, uh, I thought it was pretty cool.
0: Well, the photos are absolutely incredible. So kudos to you well, and the and the whole team at ESPN. They did an amazing job. Yeah, people thought the snow was photoshopped. I was like, no, let me tell you, I was running <laughs>
1: barefoot in that. That was real.
0: <laughs> and I mean, I don't know you that well, but I'm guessing it was maybe your first time running totally naked in the snow through your hometown. <laughs> yes, it
1: was. <laughs> and we shot, um, you know, one of the scenes. I played hockey, ice hockey growing up. It was, you know, boys and girls together. And one of the shots was like basically in the backyard of one of my hockey coaches and I finished the shot and put my robe back on and he came yelling out, great job, Emma. Oh. You know, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is such a small town. <laughs> like I you. cannot. Yeah. It's
0: like, all right.
1: We're, Made the shot. we're done. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Onto the next, but you also, um, you told ESPN, I think it was at the same time as the body issue that you said you're not naturally the most confident athlete. So I'm curious, where does, where does that come from? And is that still true?
1: Yeah, I think that just goes back to when I was saying that, that with my early running days, I wasn't incredibly confident that, um, that I was capable of doing a lot. You know, like I said, when I started hurting and was in pain, I just thought, well, I just like. I should give up because I'm not, you know, this sucks and I'm not that great or whatever. And so I think the the confidence as an athlete has grown as my love of running has grown. And, you know, I used to be on the starting line of races in high school and would like be in tears because I'd be so nervous and scared. And then on the starting line of world championships or Olympics, I'm feeling great. So I, I think that confidence has grown a lot. Um, And that ties in just with so much of my growth as a runner um, and and that mental toughness piece that we talked about. But, yeah, I'm I'm always confident that I'm a that I'm a good athlete and I'm capable of a lot of things. But it it took me a while to really feel confident on the starting line heading into battle um, that I was capable of really, uh, you know, crushing it.
0: And when you are on that start line, how much are you thinking about? what you're about to do and how much are you thinking about your competitors lined up next to you? I really like to think in a vacuum. I like to just ignore what other people are doing
1: and just focus on myself and my plan. You know, usually the plan involves paying attention to what your competitors are doing. But when I am on the starting line, I'm just going through what my plan is, what I want to be doing, how I should be feeling at certain parts of the race, not thinking Oh, so-and-so is here. Oh gosh. And, and caring about the other people in the race.
0: So when you competed in Rio at the Olympics in 2016, you became the first ever American woman to win an Olympic medal in the steeplechase, which is pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, it was a really, really exciting moment. Um, in 2015, I really thought I would medal and should medal. Um, and with like 150 meters to go there were five of us in a pack and I thought I was gonna medal and then um I came out in fifth of all of it so I was really disappointed after that and felt like I should have medaled in 2015 so um in 2016 I was ranked third or fourth coming in I can't remember but I remember um thinking that I had had to be in third or else I would be, you know, I'd be pretty crushed. And so, uh, that was, that meet was definitely, you know, meeting the expectation and it was an incredible race. And I'm really, really proud of it because there were moments of the race that I was in fourth and I was way behind. And so I had to, uh, you know, really stay calm and focused and work my way back up into third. Um, and in 2017, it was just so much more surprising because I wasn't ranked you know, like I said, I was ranked sixth, and so in Rio I was ranked third and finished third, and it was wonderful and very special. But it felt like that's what should have happened. Um, London, it felt like, oh no way, this should, you know, this wasn't supposed to happen, and I, I'm really happy about it. Where do you keep your Olympic medal? Both my Olympic medal and World Championship medal are on an IKEA bookcase in my living room. <laughs> um, yeah, they, the Olympic medal traveled around with me for a long time and, uh, lived in a sock for a while. <laughs> Cause my, my case for it got broken at the school assembly once. Oh no! So, yeah, it, um, it hasn't had the glorious, uh, you know, the glorious life maybe one would think, but yeah, it, it sits on a bookcase.
0: So when you win an Olympic medal, do you, you know, after, let's say after the New York city marathon, you see lots of racers, Wearing their medals for the next couple of days, they wear them on the plane. They wear them walking around. Did you wear your bronze medal on the plane on the way home from Rio? Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I I've never seen um, an Olympian. I've never seen an elite <laughs>
1: runner wear their medal after the races. I figured so that's I, what you were gonna say. <laughs> yeah. So I was. Uh, I had a race after Rio um, in Paris, and so I had to fly from rio to portugal and portugal to paris and that rio to portugal flight i was like in the back of the plane in a middle seat it was not a glorious (laughs) exit from rio for me but um yeah no the metal was just in my backpack (laughs) we do always have to take it out in security because uh if it's in your bag it's so dense that the x-ray people the tsa staff you know they really don't like it because it's so (laughs) dense they don't know what it is so they always have to take it out and inspect it and See what it is, and every time they find, you know, learn what it is, they're all very excited. I was so, going to say, that's
0: it's, probably cool for them. Like, oh, we got to inspect an Olympic medal today. Yeah,
1: traveling with it is not always, is not always easy. Maybe if I wore it as a necklace, it'd be easier. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so that same year at the Olympics, that was the year that Rule 40 was such a big deal. And everyone was talking about Rule 40, which basically the shortest version is you couldn't really name or give credit to sponsors. You were sponsored by New Balance. And after you won bronze, you happened to drape your New Balance shoes over your shoulder for that. They were there for your post-race interviews. Can you tell us now, was that an intentional move? Oh, for sure. I wanted to, you know, give credit to the company that
1: pays me and has supported me financially, emotionally. New Balance had, you know, has been incredible to me and they, uh, the day before I signed my contract with them, I learned I had a stress fracture in my back and most likely would be out for at least six months, nine months and miss the biggest racing, you know, biggest part of the racing season. And before I signed the contract, I told them that and they still were like, okay, no biggie. We support you anyway. And, um, so from day zero, they've been really loyal and kind and supportive to me. And so I, I felt it was only appropriate in the biggest moment of my career to have them, you know, right right up by my heart, right over my shoulder with me. Um, there is a rule, sorry, that um, you can't cover the, the sponsor of the team um, with your spike. So I didn't want to break that rule. And I wanted to respect that um, partnership that USATF has. But I uh, definitely wanted New Balance to be there and to be uh, represented.
0: And how did New Balance react to that? Did they oh, love I'm it? sure. Th- <laughs> I'm sure they were happy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But but Jenny Simpson, um, who's won several medals, she's always done the same thing. And she's a new balance athlete and my friend. And so I, you know, had taken a cue from her years prior and just thought it was the most appropriate way to
0: show my my love and respect for this great company. That's very cool. I love that. All right. Before we sprint to the finish, can you tell us who or what inspires you every day?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, who and what inspires me every day? I guess what
0: inspires me is is just
1: thinking of what's next and what I still want to do and thinking of um the the bright moments of my past, the bright moments of my career so far and how special it felt and how each moment took months and months and thousands of miles of dedication and training to achieve. Um, and so every day it's just, you know, taking another baby step in training to achieve whatever the next goal is. Um, and so it's I'm kind of inspired by my past and my future all at the same time, and and what's left to achieve. Um, and then who inspires me is is kind of always changing. I'm I'm always inspired by my family, you know, they, they they've given me so much and, and been so supportive. So I'm always, um, you know, wanting to, to run for them and give back. And then my training group, you know, Joe and Aisha and Kayla, I think we really inspire each other and, uh, work really well together and motivate each other, uh, to push harder. So yeah, it, it's, it's always evolving, ever changing, but, uh, But those are, you know, some of the consistent ones.
0: So what is next for you?
1: Next for me, um, I'll race Milrose Games and New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, February 3rd and February 10th. And I'll race a 3K at both of those. And then um, I might do the USA Indoor Championships. And then um, the the big goal is to win another U.S. Championship and to break nine minutes in the steeplechase this year. So this year, there's no world championships or Olympics. So it's really just about running fast and, um, and you know, trying to win another U.S. title.
0: Awesome. And you mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation that you didn't think that running was fun, you weren't into it, but eventually you found a way to make running fun. What is your advice for people who, I think you hear that so often, right? People start running and it's so hard and it feels horrible. How can people make running fun? Um, well, I, I do think it's
1: important for for non-professionals to understand that when a professional takes a few weeks off and starts back up again, we hate running so much. We, it's really painful. Everything about it is uncomfortable. Nothing about it is fun. Um, and that is really just because running when you're out of shape is really hard. And so my biggest tip is to be consistent. And, you know, I, when people ask me this in the past, I say, just commit to six weeks of running four or five days a week for a few miles. And, and by six weeks, you'll start feeling fit. You'll, your body will start to click with how a run should feel. Um, and then I think if you're already, you know, past that point, really mixing it up with your training of, of doing hill sprints or doing um, a few miles hard in the middle of your run, like, like varying your runs. If you're just going to run five miles every day at nine-minute pace, you're not going to improve. You're not going to challenge your body. Um, I think it's important to really vary what you're doing um, to still find the excitement and the joy in it.
0: Well, I really want to go for a run right now. That just like (laughs) made me really want to go run, especially because it's nice out today. I haven't run. I'm like, yeah, that did it for me. So I like that advice a lot. All right. With that, are you ready to sprint to the finish? Yes. All right, this is a strong suit of yours and just picture Gracie cheering this whole time on the side <laughs> while you answer these. All right, what would your last meal on earth be? Ooh, um be like Reese's puff cereal
1: and a piece of pizza from the secret stash this restaurant in Crested Butte, the notorious FIG is the name of the pizza and probably like a Coors Light or glass of merlot
0: perfect and i didn't even ask about i'm I'm pausing the sprint to the finish this doesn't count toward your finish time um i didn't even ask you about cooking you are an amazing cook oh well Well, i'm guessing i've never eaten anything you've made but i mean it looks good on the internet
1: i really enjoy cooking and baking um
0: my mom's really great
1: at cooking and baking and um and so I just grew up around it. And we have to be so careful with the activities and hobbies that we can participate in. You know, physically, we're, we just need to be resting. So um, cooking and baking are great. <laughs> you know, those are great hobbies to still rest your body um, and still have some fun.
0: Well, you made that turtle cake a couple weeks ago <laughs> and I lost my mind. It was the cutest cake I've ever seen. So well done. And I'm sure it tasted amazing. So
1: yeah, it was it was good.
0: <laughs> all right, we'll get back to the sprint. What is your favorite movie? My
1: favorite movie is this documentary called Do You Believe in Miracles? about the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. It's not Miracle. It's Do You Believe in Miracles? The documentary. It's my favorite.
0: Okay, favorite TV show? Probably Veep or Friends.
1: Biggest Pet Peeve? Oh, that changes all the time. Right now, my biggest pet peeve is... People talking with their mouth full. Oh, greatest fear. Oh, uh, like, like, oh, whatever like you are burning burning alive would be really is like a fear of mine. Oh, gosh. But, yeah. I was well, now it's a fear a fire. of fire. Yeah, it's it just yeah, it sucks. So Wait, you were in I, a fire. That, yeah, I got out. Okay, I was fine. But yeah, my cabin burned down when I was in it. So it's like, freaks me out.
0: How old were you? Uh, Like 13. Me and my dad
1: and two of my girlfriends. Holy crap. What
0: did I want ever? I'm like, this is terrifying. Did the smoke alarm go off and that's how you knew? Or were you guys awake?
1: No, it's such an old cabin. Like it's in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't have a smoke alarm. So my dad just heard a fire cracking and I had already passed out from smoke inhalation. So I didn't wake up until my friend started slapping me in the face. (gasps) Uh, But my dad woke up and he realized the cabin was going to go down. And so just got us all out. And yeah, we got out. We got out in time and are totally healthy and safe, but our cabin was destroyed.
0: Oh my god! Well, I'd say your greatest fear is pretty fair. Then I think that's pretty. (laughs) I'm like, I don't like hairless cats, but wow! (laughs) All right. Well, I'm glad that everyone was okay. I'm sorry about your cabin. Sorry to bring like this this rapid fire question down a little bit. That was a little bit of a bummer. It's all right. It's all right. I'll lift it back up. Tell me, where was your first real kiss? Um, my first real kiss.
1: think was on a bus ride in sixth grade in truth or dare
0: uh what is the scariest thing you've ever done Ooh, um escape a cabin on fire i mean i feel like
1: (laughs) no where where my cabin is we always um when we were like preteens we would always go lay in the graves at this old cemetery and like try and freak ourselves (gasps) out that was always scary
0: what okay Yeah. yeah that's scary what is your favorite animal
1: um, probably puppies, dogs, yeah. but specifically puppies.
0: Yeah. If you weren't a professional athlete, what would you be? Mm, I'd probably work
1: in real estate cause that's where my, uh, that's my dad's company. So I'd probably be just working for pops. <laughs> what is the last thing you
0: and your husband fought about? Probably like if I did my rehab or not. <laughs> oh, fair. What is your least favorite household task or chore? Oh, I do not like taking out the trash. Do you have a race mantra?
1: Often it's stay on it, stay on it, stay on it, because I'm just trying to stay with the top girls as long as I can.
0: What is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning?
1: Mm, Check my phone and have a cup of coffee.
0: And what's the last thing you do before you close your eyes at night?
1: Mm, I'm usually watching a show with Joe, so... Last night I was watching Psych,
0: and then I rolled over and went to bed. <laughs> what is something that always makes you laugh? My nephew Augie always oh. makes me laugh. That's the cutest name too. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a warning label for yourself, what would it say? What does yours say? Give me a little hint here. Um. Oh, I actually I've never answered this one for myself. Um. Mine would probably say uh, something about avoid when hungry.
1: Yeah. Mine is, mine is, uh, definitely my warning side would be avoid when hungry. If you say you're going to be ready at a certain time, be ready. Oh, that's a really Comma. good
0: one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You can have addendums. You can have a couple. It's fine. <laughs> what is the first thing you'd do if you won the lottery?
1: Hmm. Probably
0: buy some houses. All right, you don't have to share it, but be honest. Do you have a running poop story? Nothing. I definitely pooped on runs like (laughs) that. Everyone has had that, but I don't
1: have like an epic, anything really cool. One time I was in New York and went into the Plaza Hotel. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've done that. You know, you're in Central Park and you don't know where to go. So you're like, oh, the plaza is nice.
0: Yeah, the plaza or the Apple Store. The Apple Store was always a good one too, but the plaza is definitely <laughs> definitely a better option. Fancier. Yeah, yeah, makes you feel cool. Who was your childhood celebrity crush? Probably just Justin Timberlake. Who is your
1: favorite runner? It's usually the person that I'm training with because I just am so obsessed with them. I know, I know I couldn't exist without them. So... Aisha Pratt, Lear, and Kayla Edwards are my favorite runners.
0: All right. You're hosting a dinner party and you get to invite any five guests. Who are they?
1: Oh, it's so boring. It'd just be like my five closest friends. It'd be like my sister, her husband, Joe, the best man at our wedding, Kirk, and my best friend from childhood, Smalls. It'd be pretty boring.
0: No, I love that (laughs) dinner party. That's perfect. All right. And before I let you go, give everyone listening a reason to run today.
1: Okay, everyone listening, you should run today because running brings you joy. It brings you opportunity. And when a run is over, you feel so good about yourself and so confident about yourself. And yeah, that's it.
0: (laughs) I love it. Well, I am officially motivated to go do that. I'm sure everyone listening in is as well. Thank you so much for spending the time to chat with me. I love this and am really excited to see what you do next. Well, thanks so much. Awesome. Bye. Thanks, Emma. Thank you, Emma, for dropping so much knowledge, wisdom, and inspiration on this episode of the Alley on the Run show. It's always a treat getting inside the mind of a champion, and I loved every minute of this conversation. For more Alley on the Run show intel, plus photos of Ellie, the cutest pup in the world, she's my dog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Alley on the Run1 and on the Alley on the Run Facebook page. Plus, everything Emma and I mentioned on this episode will be included in the show notes, which you can find on my website, Allyontherunblog.com. And of course, be sure to follow all my adventures on Strava, where you can find me as Allison Feller. Now, let's give another shout out to Strava for sponsoring this episode of the Ally on the Run show. Go to Strava.com or download the Strava app to join today and start dishing out kudos to all your friends. And thanks for joining me on the run.